the metal rod out of my leg. It's 200 grams of metal. It's just insane. Um, I'm looking at it right now. I've hung it there, so it's a reminder of not having it in me. But um, that'd, you could definitely do something cool with that. to another episode of the Devil's Cardigan Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Little Rivers Brewery, Shimano GRX, The Dorset Hotel, Roll Cycles, Pock, Cyborg Sign Factory, and the Blue Derby Pods Ride. In this episode, we catch up with the recent winner of the Tour of Japan and the winner of the inaugural edition of the Devil's Cardigan, Nathan Earle. Nathan gives us an overview of his career, some of the successes, some of the challenges, and a few of the setbacks. Things get a little bit heavy there for a bit, but we get things back on track, have a good chat about the cardigan, some of the key sections, about nutrition, about how to cart that nutrition around, and a lot of other interesting things I think you'll find of value. So whether you're racing the cardigan this weekend, or just a fan of cycling in general, I think you're going to get a lot out of this interview with one of Tasmania's great cycling exports, and just a champion bloke with a passion for giving back to a sport that has given him so much. Now, uh, Daryl did mention an interesting story about you, Nathan. He said you smashed, was it 16 gels in one race? Was that right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it was I think it was even more than that. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, I that was at Grafton to Inverell, I'm pretty sure, because I remember it because I had I didn't have a crook gut, but I knew that I ate a lot of gels. Um <laughs> but yeah, I mean it was a pretty long race. It's like 250 odd k race and I wow. won. So um, so it works, obviously. Yeah, it works. Um, I was probably a bit underdone form-wise and then didn't want to leave anything to chance um, with the nutrition during the day. So even doubt, go all out and overdo it. And that's what I did, yeah. but it worked. I won the race and, yeah, so wow, probably not recommended. But... That's, um, that's impressive. Like I get to maybe – Six or seven, and then I'm, I start looking <laughs> yeah. at other options. Now, young Daz informs me they were caffeinated gels as well, so there's the tip, everyone. Get the Coda caffeinated gels in here. Do you remember what your nutrition was like for the first cardigan? How many, how many gels you went through then? Uh, not so many because it was freezing, <laughs> and it's harder to <laughs> get into your pockets, I guess, when you're wearing like a you know rain jackets and layers and things like that. I definitely had a few gels, but I didn't have 16 or 18 or 20. Um, yeah, and I probably felt a bit more empty at the end of that one. Um, so maybe I should have had 16. And maybe that's something to think about. Like maybe that's something people should consider whilst doing the event is accessing your nutrition and how to do that. Maybe, you know, those feedbacks that people have on their top tube is a, is a choice option. 
Yeah, definitely. These feed bags on the top tubes are all very classy. What about the old school? Let's just lecky tape a uh, gel on top of your top tube and just stack them on top of one another and you just rip it off and go. Did you guys do that or is it just me? I think that's more of a triathlon thing, but it's definitely that's what I'd do. If I needed access <laughs> and put them on the top tube, I wouldn't have a fancy bag. I'd just stick them all over the bike wherever. You can yeah, rip them but, off as required. Yeah, rip them off as required. But really, um, you can have a nutrition plan, so what you're going to eat and when you're going to eat it, but then you need to think about the conditions on the day and how you're going to access that food. So you could have it all in your pockets, but then that's two jackets deep and you're never going to get to it. Your hands are cold and you're riding quite hard. So if you're planning on not stopping at feed stations because you want to set a good time, um, getting access to the food is something worth thinking about. So I kind of stuff it up my jersey and, um, yeah, you can pull it out that way instead of trying to fish into a pocket. That's pretty important. Now, um, every time I think of Nathan Earl, I think of the story about when you finished the first cardigan. Okay, so you rocked up on a, a dual suspension mountain bike. Um, I, I hadn't met you previous to this. Uh, you smoked everyone by about 10 minutes, I think. And um, and you got yourself all cleaned up. You were pretty happy, chuffed, win, won the first cardigan, went off, got cleaned up, fresh clothes. And then you, you came back to the finish and you said, I don't think I did that right. I don't think I... I don't think he's would have got any good photos of me coming across the line. I think I can do that better. And you went back, (laughs) you put on, like it was a filthy day. (laughs) All your clothes were soaked, mud everywhere. You went back, took all your clean gear off, (laughs) put all these filthy, dirty clothes on, and then went and, and we rounded up a few photographers. We tried to get a bit of a crowd there. It was the first race, wasn't many there. Um, <laughs> we got like 10 people up the side of the finish straight or something like that all cheering you on and you, you went and did another run uh, you came in, you did a big massive skid skid before the finish then you lifted the bike over your head and we are snap, snap, snap getting some shots, cheering you on and um, I just think that was absolutely hilarious and it it just goes to show a lot about your character I think, Nath like you you won the race, you were happy about that, and then your your attention went straight to, you know, what could I do to support this race? How can I how can I make their event better? Can is there anything I can do to support? So um yeah, I just think I just think that was great, Nathan. It it obviously shows a lot about your character and and your your willingness to help others. Yeah, it's funny you mention that because that's the only thing I remember, no, I'm joking. The other 100K was, <laughs> was horrible. I blacked all that out. Um, and just to be clear, I didn't do another run as in the whole event. I just went and did another last 50, last 50 metres. <laughs> and I might have changed some clothing. I didn't put the dirty stuff back on. I just went and found a mud puddle and splashed a bit of, splashed a bit oh, of mud on front of the No, I, I can't remember what I did. But I, I might have put my dirty rain jacket back on. Combination of both, we'll say. Um, but yeah, I think I was just so relieved to cross the finish line cause it was so damn hard. Um, yeah. that I then thought afterwards, oh, maybe I hope I didn't let anyone down there by just being a bit of a dud across the finish line. 
Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I, I've got clear memories of that, getting a few people there to do some yahoos and did a bit of a skid yeah. and yeah, it was so much fun to yeah. do that. And that's, yeah, yeah. And that's what it was all about, I think. And that was, a, I was just working off the vibe of the event myself and I sort of crossed the line and then thought, oh, hang on, it was all a bit of fun and everyone's here with a smile on their face. Let's just try that again, make it a bit better. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, no, it was heaps of fun and yeah. Yeah. No, thanks very much for that. It's, um, you know, I think after that we um, we had the presentations back at the Dorset that year and you were you were pretty good up on the podium with a bag of spuds above your head and uh, hung around for a few beers afterwards and yeah, it was it was really good to have you around. Didn't I um, smash some beers by accident, make more of a fool of myself or something? You I think may I might have, have um, ruined all the um, trophies by breaking oh, a beer over them all. Yeah, I remember that because I felt like a complete fool. I did something, but anyway, it was, again, it was all good fun, a good laugh, but it's just such a good what atmosphere. Happens, and... What happens uh, after presentations with a few beers stays after presentations? <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, right. no, nothing happened there. If you want to know what happens after presentations with a few beers, you better be at the pub after presentations. <laughs> what happens at the Dorset? <laughs> stays at Dorset. Yeah, very good. So, um. Let's let's have a bit of a, a chat about your career, maybe Nathan, and like the early days and and how you got into cycling and um, you know what uh, what inspired you to take up that profession, I guess. Yeah, I guess it just started with riding a lot and eating twenty gels, um, and then figuring, no, <laughs> um, I've just always loved riding my bike. And I guess that's what I loved about the cardigan so much is just like-minded people flogging themselves on a bike in a social setting. And it took me back to my roots a little bit is that's why we all begin riding bikes because it's a mode of transport. It's a source of freedom um, and it's social and it's fun. All those things combine. And that's obviously why I rode a bike as a kid without a car or whatever you just you ride to school you meet mates you ride around you do some silly jumps and hurt yourself and think it was awesome and you um progress from there really so I've always loved riding a bike as a kid and making my own way to friends houses um without having to rely on parents to pick you up and things like that or rely on a bus timetable to get to school and it's just um you know I try and remember I not try and remember that I do remember that um, and then, yeah, from there you sort of enter a race or you, for me, I realized I was a lot faster than my friends up a hill riding to school. Um, and you realize you might be a bit better than average at something. So you, you try doing a few races. And for me, that started with mountain biking, uh, cross country running and triathlon. And then I sort of got to a national-ish level with running and triathlon and it sort of all just rolled on from there um, during school. But it wasn't until I finished year 12. Um, I sort of enjoyed being a bit of a hooligan at school and mates and cars and things like that. So I probably didn't commit myself as well as I could have to sport, but I had a good time. Um, and then after school, during the like I joined the TIS and then Andrew Christie Johnson with the Prades team at the, the time. I don't know if you remember 
that team, which is Benelong Swiss Wellness now, so it's still around. Or Bridge, Bridge Lane, sorry. Yeah, for sure. I definitely remember that team. Yeah, yep. and it just went on from there, um, did races, got results, um, got a bunch of injuries and a lot of time off the bike. So I think it took six or seven years to turn professional. Um, and then from there, it's just been a roller coaster. I can't say it's been easy or you make it to the top and then you're just there forever. It's been a real roller coaster up and down career, but it's been a real journey. And um, yeah, being based out of Tasmania, lived in Europe for multiple years, but always come back to Tassie. And then to be able to be a full-time cyclist and come back to Tassie and do local events as well, super, super special. So yeah, and here we are in 20... 23 i think <laughs> yeah for sure oh that's that's really interesting and um you mentioned injuries there you've certainly had a lot of uh setbacks in the last few years um those those early injuries were they bike race related yeah they were bike riding related i was just out training i think it was 2007 and snapped my chain and like hit my knee on the handlebars and managed not to crash in a training ride with some, with a bunch of other guys. And, um, I just had knee problems ongoing from that. And in the end, I basically had a disjointed year of time off and not really being able to train properly and had surgery in the end, had an arthroscopy oh, on my wow. knee, um, from that. But I had tendon ligament problems and micro fracture in the kneecap and bits of bone and all sorts of stuff. So that dragged on for quite wow. a while. It was probably 18 months saga because we we're trying to avoid surgery and in the end went down that um, route and then got quite good again, got moving again. And then I went to Italy to try my hand at the Italian amateur scene um, and try and turn professional that way because I wasn't in the AIS or anything like that. So I wasn't supported by the AIS or going through their program to go to Italy and race with the under 23 team. So I was kind of trying to do it on my own and I was out of under 23 space time anyway. Um, yeah. So I went to Italy race for an Italian amateur team. Hardest thing I've ever done. Just being in a hot, small apartment with some Russians and other people and some Italians, um, you know, just existing with no money and no, I just say oh, no air con because it's just so hot. That's all I remember, just how <laughs> stifling hot it was in this apartment. Um, but as far as life experience and everything, it was amazing. But over there, I got hit by a car out training Whoa. again, not in the race. And I snapped my ankle and broke my teeth and broke my wrist and things like that. So I stuck it out over there and spent my three months recovering over there, got fit again, did a couple of races and I went okay in the races. You know, I was getting some top tens in international races, but I didn't win anything. Came home and finished up the season in Australia. Like Harold Suntour used to be on at the end of the year, um, tour of Tasmania. What else was there? A couple of other races. And then, um, oh, we went to Japan for Japan cup. And I still had a lot of pain in my ankle, so I went and got it checked out, and I needed surgery in the end to cut a bit of the ligament and put a 
screwing my ankle somewhere. There was some floating bone and stuff. So they were the kind of the early on injuries as well as just the normal setbacks anyone has over training or flare ups and stuff. But that was another six months uh, off the bike as well with that one. Wow. That's, um, that's pretty interesting. It must be very hard, like, especially in that early stage, some, you know, injuries like that might end someone's ambition, but you're obviously very committed and, and you knew this was what you're going to do, what you wanted to do. So you just, you just toughed it out and cracked on, hey? Yeah, I guess thinking back, um, I'm so grateful that I didn't stop and that's, it's your own self-belief and self-drive that does that. And I always think I doubt myself sometimes, but obviously I didn't. Otherwise I would have stopped thinking back on that time. You have a few good results and you be honest with yourself and you say, am I in the mix? Am I good enough to be able to make this a career? And I believe that I was good enough. Um, and also it's the people you've got in your corner, family, friends, um, Andrew Christie Johnson at the time, the who started the Prades team and the whole team that it is today. Like he, he told me I was good enough as well. And if I stuck at it, um, who know, <clears throat> excuse me, who knows how long it might take, but eventually I can make a career out of cycling. So I had his support, and I remember saying to him, "I'll give you back the team bike. It's too much pressure to be injured, but have this." expectation to try and get back on the bike because I don't know how long it's going to take and he just said no keep keep the team bike um you'll be back on it one day and you'll win a race again one day so just keep at it so I did and um yeah here I am today and I wouldn't say I've had a decorated high-end career but it's a career in cycling that it's the only thing I've ever done outside of school and it's been you know I've got a family three kids um, you know, I made it my job, but I've incorporated it into my life as well. And I have, haven't put life on the back burner whilst I've done cycling and I haven't stopped cycling for life. I've just, I feel super lucky to have been able to incorporate the two into a, a balance that can work long-term. Um, so yeah, I feel really lucky, really. Absolutely. And I think that grit and determination that you've shown of in the face of so many challenges and to keep going, like that's pretty, that's powerful. That's very inspirational and probably more potent than any first place podium to an up and coming cyclist that, you know, with that mindset to keep going, not give up. There's so much there. Yeah. I think the mindset to not give up and the determination and sometimes maybe stupidity. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's a fine line. Yeah, there's a, it is a very fine line. Um, I've often asked my wife, I'm like, am I just stupid to try again? Or, you know, what is it? But I think that's what's got me here. But then also the setbacks that I've had are the reason I've kept going as well. They've kind of worked off one another. And in the end, you can turn disappointment into motivation and I've guess I've just found a way of doing that and that's like anything in life you can either have setbacks and have disappointment and then just feel all sorry for yourself and you can feel sorry for yourself for a little bit but you need to snap out of that and turn it around and stop moping and say okay you know what I'm going to get motivated now and 
you need you do it for yourself if you're doing it for other people or to prove to other you know to whoever um you can do it i think that's good motivation sometimes but it's not it can't be the only reason you need to do it for yourself and it's about us being the best you can be and that's another trap i think people fall into is comparing themselves to others all the time and if you there's always going to be someone that's a bit better than you at some point or all the time so if you're comparing yourself to the best in the world you might in your eyes never be good enough but if you're just focusing on being the best you can be that's all you can do and that should that's good enough and if it's not good enough to have a career in a sport you can't really be disappointed because it's the best you can possibly be and you can't be disappointed with that i think how have you managed that with the rise of social media over your career then like has, do you think in the last decade it's just gone gone bananas or has that pressure sort of always been there when you when you're in it comparing yourself to the results that you're seeing or has this so yeah, again social media just thrown petrol on the fire yeah it's that's a really good question it's changed so much it's crazy like i remember when i was in italy um my wife and I communicate through emails every third or fourth day and we might send each other a text, but it was like a dollar a text or something. So you kind of avoided doing that if you could. Um, and there was nothing online. You you didn't have the internet in your pocket. Um, and this is within the last 15 years. It's not even that long really. No. Um, but I think the whole social media thing, I think it's super good and, incredible what we've got access to today and what's everyone can see but then it can also be really detrimental as well depending on how into it you are how glued to everything you are you can't switch off now because you just pull your phone out you can't get away from anything and i think it can eat you up looking at all this stuff if you're not in the mind right mindset so sometimes when i'm injured um like last year when i was in japan in hospital after another accident I couldn't really bring myself to look at my phone because it it, in my mind it just was all negative stuff for me to look at that Um, and then it's about being able to realize that and try and avoid looking at it for your own health really Uh, in other times when you're in a positive mindset, it's a fantastic thing to see what everyone's doing and to keep in touch with everything and keep up to date with everything. So it depends. You just got to be able to manage and monitor, I think. Yeah. That's interesting because like, I remember the post you put up of your shiny, strong looking legs in a hospital gown on Instagram that you put. (laughs) And I thought that was a really good post because so much of on social media is the highs, you know, it's the peaks. You never see the valleys. It's all, you never see the struggles, I think. So just for you to share that little moment and to see all the positive comments and support that was coming through, you know, even from me, I had could, had to send you a message. Like it's it's there's a balance there, isn't there? And it can do good. You've just got to have some control over it. That's right. And like you said, not seeing the lows, as long as you don't forget that most of what we see online is the positives and the peaks and when people are crushing it, or it's sort of when someone failed, like they cracked and lost the tour or they did something, that's just 
life and it's normal. And for someone to have a bad day and lose a race when they were a favourite, as long as we are aware that that's also completely normal and understandable, it doesn't take away from an athlete or anything. It's just um, it's a human side to racing. But if we sort of read it as though, oh, that guy failed, um, he's a loser, then I think that's a bad thing about it as well. But like you said, it's great for people to see both sides. Most of the time, people that are throwing that sort of criticism probably haven't ridden their bike that far, that fast, or have the same. And I guess it's not even about distance, but but you should be careful where you throw stones, I suppose, because people that probably have that negativity, it's they're probably in a defensive mode themselves, maybe. I don't, yeah. yeah, it's just a balancing act, social media. And being a professional athlete, like I've, the reason I did the post when I was in hospital, um, when I sort of, I was still trying to figure out myself what happened and what I thought of what happened to me, just get my head straight really. But um, being a professional athlete, I thought I should just put something on to make people aware that something happened and that's why I'm not at the next race. Um, but I didn't give much thought to people saying, oh, I hope you're okay or getting, like you said, the message from yourself or whatever, other people. And I was quite overwhelmed with how much support I got just from people saying, awesome. I hope you're okay or what even happened, didn't know about that. And that's one thing during my recovery for last year leading into this year is just the warmth and support from friends and the cycling community really. And I don't think that would have happened as much without social media and access to the internet and all the news reports and stuff like that. So there's always beautiful, positive sides to it and just people being more aware and being able to be in touch through multiple platforms and stuff. And a lot of people backing you, mate. That's, you know, a lot of people wanting to see you bounce back and go strong and follow your journey and have you back. Yeah, and that's it. And it's just so nice. And they're the ones that enjoy the following athlete stories and careers, but then they're the ones that make the difference to the athlete as well, or whether they're professional or not, just cyclist or some other sport. And it's just a big circle. And that's what I'm kind of coming to realize more and more is they enjoy you getting results or doing whatever you're doing, but then you thrive off their support, positive support. And it's just a big old circle. We can all help each other really. Yeah. Very good. And that's, um, that last incident, that last injury that you had, Nathan, that was that was a pretty good one, hey? Like um, that uh, put you out for a while and it, it must have been quite a hard one to come back from. Yeah, the last one, again, training. Um, I did yeah. break my leg in a race, so there are some race accidents. But, yeah, this one was a training accident in Japan and I got hit by a truck and got pretty messed up, yeah. Um, I was lucky not to be killed. Uh, really the injuries themselves weren't life-threatening but if the truck was going a bit faster or if oh, I didn't have wow. a helmet on like my helmet got pulverized as my head just smashed in the front of a truck at 50k an hour um, and it did its job you know but if I didn't have a helmet on or if the truck didn't then stop in time because it kind of barreled me down the road and then it pulled up within a meter of me on the ground um, oh wow so you know I could have been run over by the truck there's so many things that could have been worse and you know i got hit by a truck i nearly had four months off the bike but 
I strangely feel lucky, not disappointed about it. I miss races that I was targeting to win. Um, you know, lots of negative stuff, but at the same time, I feel fortunate that my injuries have allowed me, like they're not too bad. I'm getting the metal out of my arm um, two days after Devil's Cardigan, actually. Um, I waited until then. I couldn't get it done before. So I got a race. Um, Do you get to keep that? Uh, hopefully, yeah. I've got some other metal bits in, that I look at in my wardrobe, so maybe I can add it to the collection. Just... Well, maybe we can create a special Nathan Earl, you know, big heart award for the cardigan using some steel out of your arm, or is that a bit, bit morbid? I should bring it along. We can make a little, a sick <laughs> little trophy out of metal bits out of my body, yeah. That... <laughs> I know. Just the guy that could do that. <laughs> Stratus would love that scenario. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the metal rod out of my leg, it's 200 grams of metal. It's just insane. Um I'm looking at it right now. I've hung it there, so it's a reminder of not having it in me. But um, that you could definitely do something cool with that. But, yeah. All right, um, well, let's have a few beers post-race and come up with some ideas. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll bring it along. <laughs> well, that's an incredible – that is just an epic injury to bounce back from and to bounce back from the way that you have to go back over to Japan and uh, smash it up Mount Fuji to take the overall win. I'm nicknaming you the Fuji Express now, whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> you're going to bring some heat to the uh, race course next weekend. Fuji Express, he's on fire with a gravel bike too. With a new gravel bike there, look out. Yeah, to be able to get back just riding a bike really, I wasn't sure if I'd be able to ride a bike again or if I wanted to. And again, that am I stupid thing because my gut feeling was I love riding bikes. I'm not done racing. Um, I'm going to try and go again. But then my head was saying, when when do you just stop? When's enough enough? And other than doing more hours out on the road, being a professional, I'd still ride a bike anyway. And then most of my injuries have been in training where I'd be, even if I wasn't a professional cyclist. Um, so I think as long as you're being careful and not reckless, you do have to follow your gut and follow your heart and do what you feel is right. Um, and that's all you can really do. So that's what I've done. And then luckily after nine months of super hard work, it's all paid off and I won tour of Japan and, here we are having a chat. Yeah, that's great. It's certainly certainly great to hear that you've made a, a full recovery and that you've you've hung in there with the sport and you've you've worked hard and and you got to where you are now, which is which is fantastic. It's really good to have you around. And uh, and race the Devil's Cardigan, of course. And race the Devil's Cardigan, of course. This will be my third third time, so yeah, so excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the to the last accident you'll have to do a bit of editing here gareth but um i was in a similar accident myself with a truck i was hit with a hit by hit from behind by a truck doing 80ks now and um i bounced up um smashed his windscreen wiper with my helmet um bounced up on the front of the truck and then fell to the left and there was about a half meter gap between the railing in the truck and I was rolling around in there whilst my bike went under the under the truck and just got completely minced. Probably we're very lucky that that is not where I was. But um, I was really lucky injury-wise. Like I had some good injuries. 
smash my elbow and a few other things. But I think that I think uh, mentally, I think that sort of I don't know whether it rewired me because of the concussion or whether it just changed the way I looked at things. Yeah. Yeah, and did you, did you kind of find that as well? Like you, you, the outlook on life and and things like that sort of changed a bit as well. Yeah, definitely. You I prioritized mean, prioritized and things like that. Yeah, every injury I've had has changed me a little bit. But the yeah, the one with the truck, like you've just described, yours sounded even worse than my experience. But I don't remember it's any. Not of a contest. The, yeah, no, I don't. No, no. But <laughs> by all means, no. Um, yeah, I don't have any memory of the accident itself and I'm sort of grateful for that. But it does change, yeah, your risk assessment of things, your outlook on things, your attitude towards hard times again, whether it's just with the kids playing up and things like that. But then it also makes you a bit more relaxed when uh, the shit hits the fan a little bit. You're like, oh, well, like that's just life for this get through this, have the same outcome with less stress or anxiety or it bothering you as much well, for me anyway, compared to when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I'm still dealing with it a little bit, trying to figure out all my feelings. And I've sort of experienced that at tour of Japan. Like I won tour of Japan and I flew up Mount Fuji and that's due to all my training and, a lot of hard work to be ready for that. But the race itself did take a mental toll like on me more than it would have in the past, I think. Um, just mentally fatiguing, extra focus, downhills, hyper alert about cars and other cyclists. So, yeah, I think you, you deal with it, but then it does change your mindset and how um, – much energy i guess mental energy really you use um for certain things due to the accident that you had and at the time it wasn't like i just woke up in hospital and was a changed person a changed man i was it took me months to kind of process what happened what was going on what i want to do and i guess i'm still trying to figure that out so yeah for sure it does change you yeah well while we're sharing accidents on bikes i'll add mine to the mix so i can lay claim oh you got to i can lay claim to being blue derby's first spinal injury because but i can guarantee there was no trucks involved it was just it was a funny one because the week before i was busy racing one of the Taz Grav races out there that you put on, Danny, before we met. And I remember going down 23 stitches on the absolute river, just pinning it loose as a goose. And then a week later, I'm riding along Krushkas on the ridge on a you know on an XC bike, and I just went too fast over a double, cased it, and went headfirst into the dirt, came to a complete stop, and squashed one of my neck discs into my spinal cord. And got sent down the Hobart and had the disc chopped out and some screws and neck fusion done so I could use my arms again and started a bit of rehab. I was about six months before I was back on a bike and three, four months before I was back at work and a lot of time to think about the water coulda, shoulders and 
the time I spent in hospital not being able to use my hands properly, you look out the, the door and you see people coming through with far worse injuries and far worse pieces of metal coming out of their body and their heads and the neck. And it was a very interesting balance between like, wow, I've been through something pretty significant myself, but that looks a lot worse. And trying to still honour the experience that you've been through for yourself and to give yourself that grace, but at the same time, you don't want to get too down the dumps that you, you let it be an anchor that holds you back. And certainly in the almost seven years or six and a half years since that's happened for me, it's, it's, it's amazing what time does help you process that to, I think, ultimately use it as a, a fuel or a positive thing to look at life with a, I guess, yeah, like what you've touched on, you're being grateful and putting everything into perspective, I suppose, but use it as good. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that's the thing, like people say time heals all wounds or kind of makes things go away, but it's not something you can forget about and you shouldn't forget about it. Like you said, you need to absolutely give, you need to accept what happened and move on, but remember what happened and use that, like you said, in a positive thing. Um, I had something really bad happen, but I'm very, very lucky. Um, and other people, yeah, worse off, but also remember it. So if you can be proactive in some way, that you still need to live your life and do things that give you an adrenaline rush and take calculated risks. But you do need to remember what happened and maybe just be a bit more careful when you can be careful. So it's a balancing act of respecting the injuries or accidents you've had, but then not letting them stop you do what you love or want to do. And it's hard to get that right sometimes. Yeah, going outside is dangerous. That's right, yeah. (laughs) Hey, everyone who drinks water dies. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Not, um, Not northeast Tasmania water. We might have got a bit distracted in this podcast. I think we should talk about some cheery stuff. <laughs> no, no, I think uh, that's all really potent stuff. Because well, you don't have to be hit by a truck or, or land on your head to have struggles in your life and to have ups and downs. And I guess knowing that if you just stick it through, take a deep breath, you know, and just back yourself and surround yourself with positive people that believe in you, like, you know, no matter what the adversity is, you can you can push through it with, uh, with that support. So... That's right. And that's it can be anything. It's not injury. It's like you get laid off at work, you, um, you know, family problems, all sorts of things. But I think people put too much expectation on themselves, and I certainly do. And that's one thing I've learned the more times I've got injured or, you know, other things in life have happened is it just takes as long as it takes. And as long as you have the motivation to try and progress forward in whatever it is in life um, and don't put some time limit on yourself or let other people put time limits on yourself because people are like, oh, that was a month ago, you know, move on, mate, or what are you doing? And everyone's individual and things just take as long as they take. And as long as you're looking forward to get back to how you were, you know, get better or um, find something else in life that's positive or whatever. It doesn't matter if it's one month or one year or 18 months. You just need to have that mindset of wanting to progress and it'll just happen when it happens. 
it sounds like we're going to be starting a, a very uh, popular self-help podcast yeah. channel soon. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we've got that dialed in. Look, move over, Tony Robbins, we're coming for you. Yeah, probably not advisable. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very good. I think we should move on to the cardigan. Let's go. The what? Sorry? The what? No, <laughs> oh, the bike race. Yeah. 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 It's in Tasmania. You probably haven't heard of it. No, no. Where? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, um, have, have you had much of a look at the start list, Nathan? I've had a little gander, um, but I couldn't get to the bottom of it because it's so damn long. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have enough time in your day, mate? No. Yeah, it's a big list. It's looking it's pretty awesome. List. I think um, I think the uh, up until about a month ago, Gareth was like, "Oh, I wish we had a few more elite women." Uh, I've only got two or three or something like that, and then all of a sudden, um, it just exploded. And, and same with the not that this is what the event is about, but um, the top end of the field is is quite stacked, and we have have some some really good depth in the elite categories. Yeah, it's um, looking pretty well balanced in all the categories really but yeah there's some good depth there and it's just going to be epic really um i'm so excited but i don't know how are you guys going to deal with all the numbers at the start line oh we've got a plan i'm sure you do that doesn't surprise me <laughs> i'm intrigued and, but yeah and signs and about 20 marshals and it's all going to work like clockwork. Hey, G. Oh, absolutely. 100%. No, it's good. And it is It is one of the, the – it will be the biggest logistical challenge of the event by far, but it's, um, it's up to us to communicate how that's going to work really clearly prior to the race, and, um, and I think it's going to function really smooth. Yep, it's going to be really good. But we won't, we won't get bogged down on that now, but – it's um, it's going to be really good, but um, I, th- I think it's it's interesting looking at the start list. Um, there's quite a diverse uh, background of the riders. Um, there's a lot of roadies in the you know, on the list, and a lot of elite mountain bikers as well. And it's going to be interesting to see how they how the great race pans out for them. Do the could the mountain bikers get a bit further ahead on the descents and then, you know, the roadies use their tactics on the open sections and, you know, how's it all going to plan out, pan out? It's going to be um, really interesting to watch. Yeah, I was only talking about this yesterday. Um, I was out for I with Scott Bowden and Tom Cheeseman. But just, yeah, the mix of riders and how that will work out and we're talking about how we think the race will play out and it's so hard to call it because of the background of the riders and um, being a gravel race and the climbs with the flat sections um, in between. So even if a rider gets away, will he just stay solo to the finish or he's going to get caught by a working group behind? It's so exciting and hard to call. And then that's the beauty of the race as well is um, any rider, like a mountain biker, uh, road rider, riders that, are more fit doing Ks or riders that do more downhill, like they can all do this race. Yeah. Um, and that's just what's so great about it. And, yeah, it's just going to be an unpredictable 
outcome really i think yeah and i think in a, in a road race there's a lot of variables um as far as you know making groups and tactics and all that sort of thing but when you when you put gravel in the mix and mud and rocks and and sort of a bit more technical aspect on the descents and things like that it's it's um you know anything could happen out there for sure yeah definitely with the yeah and then just working in a group it's different I was talking to Scotty Bowden after he went and did his course recce the other day. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm meant to mention that or not, but uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, but it was, it was, he made some fantastic comments about how you've got to respect the course because the course has everything in it, plenty of sections which you could get into a bunch and work really well and, and punch along at a good pace, but also plenty of sections where it's going to be narrow, the gravel's going to be chunkier than others. And he mentioned on the dead horse, he would have sent that he had a little little moment, a little burp in the front tyre. And that's a perfect example of how, for the sake of just backing off 10% and not having a mechanical because you're just being so aggressive, it could cost you. Yeah, for sure. The um, terrain is one thing, but then, yeah, the road surface or the um, – I even remember the first year on my mountain bike flying down some of those hills and I was thinking, yeah, if you're not concentrating, you sort of hit some things there, you could blow your tyre out or have a crash and it's not worth that for the sake of just backing off a little bit and then staying upright. So. Not that there's anything crazy dangerous, but obviously if you go too fast around a corner, you're not going to make it like anywhere. Um, so yeah, so many little variables like that. And then just depending on what the weather's doing, if it's raining, if it's not raining, but wet, if it's cold, not cold, uh, all those sorts of things. And then people's... If it's, all, if it's all of the above. All of the above, yeah. And then, like I said, eating food, you could be fit as anything, but you put your gels deep in your pockets and you're cold and it's a bit bumpy and you can't get to your gels. It's just easier not to eat something and then you run out of puff towards the end. So access to your food, duct taping them all over your frame, I think we said was best. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. And from your, uh, from your experience, you've braced it both years, Nathan. Do you see any um, key sections where you expect the the move to be made? Do you think it'd be the climber hell? Do you think it'd be, you know, the false flat leading up to Mount Albert just after that? Where do you think the the key section is going to be? Where, where's it going to be one and done? Do you think one and done? Um, yeah, I don't yeah. want you to give give away too many of your secrets or your your battle plans you came up with Scott yesterday, but. Um, <laughs> Where do you think of the, the key sections people tactics, should look out for? Yeah. Yeah, well, did I've tell never you. seen – no, you didn't tell me, so I don't know. <laughs> right. Top secret. Um, I haven't seen the first climb before, um, but going off the last couple of years, straight out of the gates uphill, I mean, the field kind of gets spread out and things become pretty clear in the first 5Ks. And I expect yeah. that to happen again just with a – a fast pace and we'll see sort of who's there and then it's just a matter of um who's got the legs i think really but of course the second climb big climb um yep climb I mean, a hell a, climb a hell it's a half an hour climb oh, that's raf that's raf falls oh raf falls yes. that's the second major climb second major climb yeah the K second kom yep i would expect that 
yeah, we've, we're looking at one of the winners at the front up there. And from then on, I don't think anyone's going to come back and do something from that point. So I reckon mm. that would be where it becomes pretty clear who is in the mix at the end and then just comes down to who's feeling all right, who's got the legs and what happens from there. But I don't think it's going to be sort of attacks that win the race. It's just going to be more who's strongest on the day and gets through, you know, okay as well, obviously without mechanicals or incidents and things like that. Yeah. So for those unfamiliar, the uh, the second climb of the day is about a, a 10K climb with an average of about 10%. And it's a, a, apart from the last maybe 500 metres to a kilometre, um, it is just the same grade the whole way at around 10% for about 9Ks. It's it's amazing climb. Uh, you can, I guess you can just get in a groove there, Nathan, and tap away. And, um, yeah, being that long, it's it's really going to sort everyone out. Are you talking about Ralph Falls, Danny? Ralph Falls, yes. Yeah, so that's the segment is 10.5 kilometres long, gained 600 metres and has an average gradient of 5%. Yeah, so that's why she's just such a, a fast climb and you can really get into a good groove, good um, rhythm up it. But there's that little pinch that, that hits 16% at about the 60% mark. Um, yep. So the unnamed climber hill, which is 3.5Ks long, that's got an average gradient of about 8%. With most, yeah, around 8 to 9%, with the max gradient being about 15. And go back to the, the old mutual, she's 8.3 kilometres long with an average of 4.2%, which sounds really cruisy, but there's um, that elevation is gained in shorter segments than that 8.3. So there's some good little pinches in there which will help spread out the field and not a spot where you want to burn too many matches. It's a great way to warm the legs up. Yeah, for sure. And I think... Um... I think last year, I think there was a group of three until the climb of hell, and then that's when Tasman went away. And in the first year, Nate, when when did you make your move? Was that on Ralph Falls? Um, I think I was away before then. It was probably in the first 5Ks. Uh, I'm not sure what happened. I, I just remember the pace being insane from the gun, and I was just thinking, this this is mental. Um if this can be sustained, then hats off. Um, I'm not winning today. <laughs> and I think we all just blew ourselves up in the first 5K and I just kept pedaling and ended up being by myself. Yeah, and I was just by myself the entire way to the finish. Um, yeah, right. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, you gave you were hooking along so quickly, you gave Peter Colvin a good scare because he was still on course doing some final final checks and you came motoring past him at uh, – Methina Plains, you uh, gave him the shock of his life, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a bit, uh, I think it was like zero degrees up there, a bit of fog and rain. So it was all a bit, it was awesome actually, just moody. And I didn't see him until he was scared and saw me really. I was just as frightened myself. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that random bloke <laughs> in the middle of the road? Like, I felt like, yeah, I'm doing a bike race, mate. Leave me alone. No, nah, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it was awesome. And it was such an adventure because I didn't know the course. So I was just thrashing myself in the fog, wondering which way the road was going to go next. Um, there was no surprises like a sharp turn and 
whatever, but just it was a real sense of adventure that um, first time for me because I just didn't know where I was going. You look at it on a map once and you think, oh, yeah, okay, just kind of go around there, no worries. But when you're out there, um, you don't know which way you're going. And Is a race like that really refreshing for you? Like just there's no research, no known quantities, it's just pure ride your bike. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. And that's what being a professional athlete, I guess, there's not enough or there's none of that. Everything's so calculated, so researched. Um, you do course recons, all those sorts of things, or you've done it before a bunch of times as well. So it was super refreshing and super exciting, really. And like I said earlier, for myself and many others that would do it, it kind of takes you back to your roots as to why you started hurting yourself on a bike um, because it was just a real – it was an adventure, really, and – the race or the result came second. You were just out there doing it for the love of it, and that's what this event still feels like. We were um, pretty surprised to see someone win it on a dual suspension mountain bike in the first year, but you really did sort them out, and I think you, some of your KOMs still stand. You're yeah. obviously having a very good day. <laughs> I was just so excited for being out there. <laughs> um, you obviously were. <laughs> yeah. No, I think... Yeah, I don't know about the mountain bike. I guess when you're on, you're on. It prob- probably doesn't matter so much what bike you're on, but I'd say it was the mountain bike was slightly quicker downhill in certain sections because I got a bit a bit loose here and there. Um, and then I just had the legs on the on the other sections. But yeah, I gave the KOMs a red hot crack. So hopefully I don't lose them to someone this year. We'll see. I'll have to go again to make sure I can defend my. KOMs. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the KOMs. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, Nathan, there's a, uh, a key section along Mount Albert Road on the way back, and uh, I think you told me a story once about your, uh, your power along there and how you, how you backed it off a bit in order to go faster overall because I don't think there was much reward for putting in extra effort at that, at that time because of the surface or something like that. Yeah, that's right. At- the top, yeah, like the road was quite sticky and there was a, a blockhead wind and I was sitting at a pretty high power. It wasn't that I sort of backed off, but I thought I'm just not moving forwards quick enough here. I need to try and go a bit faster. So I pushed on the pedals a bit more and um, for what seemed like a lot more power or what was a lot more power, um, looking at my power meter, I did all of a kilometre an hour faster, I think, um, for a whole bunch more effort. And I stuck with that for a minute or two and then kind of realised that it felt like I was doing double the effort. It wasn't double the effort, but it was a lot more effort for hardly any more uh, speed. And I thought if I keep this up, um, I'll just blow to smithereens and lose much more than that later on in the race. So... Yeah, back to back off and still what went the same speed for a lot um, less effort and power. So, yeah, I think that's one thing about the race that's different to a road race where you can pick a tactic or pick a pace and it sort of works for a long time on the road that you're on, whereas this one you need to sort of look at your effort, look at the road surface you're riding on, 
the wind and you might go a little bit quicker at the expense of blowing to pieces later in the race or you can just find a sweet spot except that it might feel slow but it's a good good pace for the effort involved and later on you can pick it up when the conditions or the road surface allows so yeah i just thought it was really funny because i thought oh i'm going a little bit slow here for my liking i'm going to up it a bit and upped it like 100 watts for one kilometer an hour so yeah yeah it was funny yeah and it's such a diverse course as well like every you know five to ten k's you're in a different you've got a different scenario in front of you how you manage need to manage your power and all that sort of thing that's right like adaptive um you need to adapt your tactic i guess you can't just go out and say i'm going to sit on this speed or this number or um yeah whatever you just it's a race where you can kind of forget about your numbers and just go by feel i think which is back to basics with how we used to race really and it's a skill it sounds funny saying it's a skill but it is a skill that's lost these days with everything being so calculated in bike races and so data driven um the data is still there to look at at the end of the event but during the event it's more about just doing what you need to do and not worry about what the numbers are saying um, and feel it. And yeah, it's a, it's refreshing to race like that. And that's what I found uh, in 2021. First time I lined up at the devil's cardigan was you just go out and thrash yourself and throw caution to the wind a little bit as well. Um, But also be sensible in times like i said if you've got to do a bunch more effort for no gain maybe just back it off and save that for somewhere else in the course there's a a a really interesting guy that does my local uh road group in in olsen his name's dave watson he's an ex-pro from he would be 70 or 80 now so from 40 50 years ago and and he saw at a at a major race in australia he saw a, a report after that that a rider got to 180 beats a minute or something like that some number like that and he he saw that and then he thought okay i must back off otherwise i'm gonna blow up and dave just loses his mind about that he's like how does he know how does he know he's gonna blow up he should just if he's feeling good just go you know so it's um yeah the way of racing over the years has changed completely from just going by feel feel back in dave's day uh, to you know just looking at your numbers a lot more these days so um yeah maybe the cardigan requires that old school approach i think it definitely does require the old school approach and you you don't learn anything about yourself anyway no matter what level of the sport you're at um if you don't sort of push limits a little bit and just see what happens really um yeah okay i was being calculated when i saw that i was doing a lot more power and not much more speed but yeah at the same time i I was trying it anyway um yeah and it sort of wasn't working out so i thought okay might um back off a little bit but it wasn't that i was like oh no i'm gonna back off it i just thought it was quite hilarious just at how sticky the road was it was like the, the the harder you pushed the stickier the mud got or something yeah um yeah and i remember smiling about that at the end when i was talking to you just saying it's hilarious really 
it's like um, they the mud holds onto your tires if you push more power. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's finding a sweet spot. But yeah, I think looking at heart rate and backing off. I mean, it's so it depends on the scenario. But if you're within a kilometer of the top and you're trying to hold on to someone and your heart rate goes into the red, you don't yeah. back off. You just hold on for dear life and recover. Yeah. Later on, um, if you've still got 20k to go and you've already kind of blown then you want to back off and try and ride your own race to the top of a hill um but yeah sometimes you just got to not worry about the numbers and just do what you got to do and you might surprise yourself for sure i think the situation that dave talks about was like a kilometer before the line and he was just worried about blowing up and he just let everyone catch him and pass him and win that was kind of yeah so that's um yeah yeah, for sure. And but that, um, but that Mount Albert section that you that you talk of, um, that was a bit heavy that year. I don't think it's going to be as heavy this year, but it's generally got a blockhead wind, and I, I just, I can just see that being such a key part of the race. Like I can see someone going on a break, and then you know a group of four or five doing turns trying to catch them along there, and like it's, I, I think it could be a really decisive section. Yeah, definitely. Um... It all, yeah, it all depends, but it's such a tough section. And if you get there feeling good versus um, not feeling good, it's a night and day difference along there. And then working together in a group off-road compared to working together in a group on-road, you don't get the benefits of sitting on the wheel as much when you're riding through gravel or wet, you know, wet gravel or rocks and things compared to the draft that you get on the road as well. So I think you could see one or two riders out the front and you could have four or five riders chasing, but if they're not fully um, working together on the same level of, um, you know, fitness and like energy and things like that, you could just have one guy, one rider, so doing more work and the other sitting on and it's really the same speed, if not slower than the two out the front working well together, even one out the front just going all out it's going to be going to be really interesting to uh see how it plays out yeah do you think there's going to be any um any any alliances any tasmanian alliances you you scott and cheesy are you just going to gang up on the rest of them or what's going to happen (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if we if we can we will yeah (laughs) i think it's one of those ones yeah if you find yourself you know, once the dust settles from the beginning, if you find yourself in a good little group there um, yep. with some familiar faces, of course, uh, we'll see what we can do. Um, I mean, yeah, Tasmania has to win, really. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll have to set up some, some booby traps out there for any non-Tasmanians if they... Yeah. Some scary, <laughs> some scary men in the fog jumping out of cars and bushes and stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, that's not a nice way to talk about our marshals. <laughs> sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> we'll have to get a few banjos on course to them, you know, just to add to the the eeriness. Yeah, just anything. You're right at home with the banjos, then, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, that's um. That ride you did the other day, Nathan, that was pretty impressive. About 160 k's with 5,000 meters, something like that. Yeah. Yep. Just another another normal day in Hobart. No. <laughs> <laughs> how many how many laps of Mount Wellington do you reckon you've done over the years? Thousand. 
Oh, over the years, yeah, a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, that was three times that day, just from the springs. Um, it's a pretty amazing piece of road to have to be able to do 20 up to 30-minute uphill intervals without any downhill. Um, yep. Yeah, to have that and then as long as well, all the other rolling terrains, steep hills and everything like that, Tassie in itself and Hobart, yeah, it's pretty special. And then you can mix gravel, like I did a big gravel section um, during that ride as well, just on my road bike. It's a lot of gravel you can ride on, use your road bike for. So, yep. yeah, the terrain, I can't remember who I was saying it to, but there's pretty much nowhere in the world that shocks you after you train in Tasmania. Yeah, okay, the mountains in Europe are a whole nother level of long and high altitude, things like that. We don't have high altitude mountains or anything, but the wind, the rain, headwind everywhere you go, <laughs> dead roads, um, nothing consistent. It's always up or down. It's not like you just have perfect flat the whole time. Then you're on a 10K climb. It's this inconsistent right rhythm riding and yeah i've raced all over the world um and tasmania as long as you're putting in the k's and the effort uh, it prepares you pretty much for anything any other country has to offer and often it feels better when you go somewhere you're on a mountain doing a 22 kilometer mountain pass um, which is longer than what we've got here but it's smooth road yeah you know, this is this feels beautiful, like no bumps, no, you know, I'm just rolling along beautifully, more air pressure in my tyres because the roads are so smooth and it's lovely. So, yeah, the terrain here is second to none for for training, but for up-and-coming athletes as well who maybe don't have the experience of racing overseas, if they're doing it here, they're well prepared for anything, I think. That's something that we touched upon too at the pub after one of the editions when we were reflecting on some of the young TIS athletes that came to race, I think, in the first year. And one thing, you look at the numbers of the card again, the distance, the elevation, and it's very easy to think, oh, that's not too bad. But you throw in the conditions, the weather, the gravel types, and it's a very different experience, a very different um, type of suffering. And we were talking about how it's important, young riders, it is to experience that just for not just their physical growth, but their mental growth as well, I suppose, being a part of that? Yeah. Um, that's what I was going to say before with all the entrants. There's there's no reason why anyone from any discipline of the sport shouldn't be doing the devil's cardigan because it's just it's a learning experience no matter who you are, no matter what um, fitness level, no matter what discipline of the sport. And, yeah, the young kids – just should and need to get amongst it. And hopefully, yeah, there's a lot more this year um, lining up, but it's an event that you just learn so much from yourself or about yourself, I should say. Um, yeah, and then being a Tassie rider, it's on our back doorstep. So getting out there and just experiencing it, it betters you as a rider and shows you your limits and what you can improve on and, you might realise that you absolutely love that compared to what you're doing or you absolutely hate it but you're still stoked that you did it to know that maybe you don't want to do it again. No, I'm joking. You, you can't line up and not 
you can't race it and not want to do it again. It's um, just one of those experiences. That's awesome. It's very good. And um, just before we wrap up, Nath, what, what advice would you give to to young and upcoming riders uh, from Tassie that, uh, you know, want to follow your path into professional cycling? Yeah, just keep at it. Um, consistency is key. It's not about doing – sometimes you need to do unsustainable things with your training or with your diet and things like that, but it's basically just consistency. And like we just said about the devil's cardigan – lining up at all the races you can do. And if it's hard to get to the mainland to do certain events, um, it doesn't matter if you're mountain biking, road cycling, track. If there's a local event, just try and get there and do it. Um, No matter what discipline it is, it makes you a better rider anyway in your own niche of the sport or cycling. Um, But it gives you so much experience. You meet so many people. It opens up doorways you might not have even known about um it keeps you motivated because you're not just looking at a few events on the calendar you can look at mountain biking gravel track road like you can do it all um it makes you a more diverse rider even if you're still just fixed on track cycling or road um but yeah being consistent with it and looking at the big picture i think not yeah, you've got to have your micro goals and everything and your targets, but um, consistency and not giving up. And comparing yourself to others, I do it all the time. used to do it even more, um, but everyone's journey is different and you've just got to focus on being the – you take note of what other people are doing, of course, but just being the best you can be and leaving no stone unturned in your situation your circumstances and if you know someone that might be able to help just asking questions um it's to be able to ask for help and again i think with social media and um it's not a big mystery about what professionals are doing these days i remember when i started it was like the whole european thing was such a mystery and there was no one to ask questions about or i was too scared to ask certain things so if you know someone that you want to ask a question or something, just go for it. Um, you can do it on Facebook Messenger or Instagram Messenger or whatever. So, yeah, just give it everything. Very good. I imagine it's um, – I imagine coming from Australia and trying to make it overseas is very challenging. I imagine coming from Tasmania is even harder um to to get the exposure to the high level racing it is yeah but now it's nothing like you know thanks to richie port and endless other people um it's a more open thing now and cycling's changed a bit as well it's not just this european um thing you've got to get to europe to be seen and no one will know you exist if you're not in europe and we've got so many young guns coming through in Tasmania now um, doing amazing things as well. It's still not easy for an Australian because if you want to make a career at the top level of the sport, you have to be in Europe. Um, but it's certainly not what it used to be even 10 years ago. Um, it's Nothing's impossible. And if you want, if you want it to happen, it will and can happen. Um, 
And there's also other avenues in sport. It's not all about being in Europe and racing at the highest level there. Um, I mainly do the Asian circuit now. I race for a Japanese team and I get paid all right and I love racing and they look after me and I get to live in Tasmania and do trips away. So it's also not the only option is being in Europe and having to race for some European team. Um, there's so many different pathways and different ways of making a living out of the sport as well as enduro now, how that's come up and gravel racing. Uh, that wasn't even a thing um, back in the day and now it's huge. So it's just getting bigger and better and more exciting and there's more options for the young kids out there to do anything they want on a bike really. So just be excited. 100%. And, um, yeah, so if you're young and you're keen to do it, just get out there and do it. Yep. That's about all I've got. You got any more, Gareth? I just want to say that Nathan Earl's out here spitting life advice for on and off the bike. So uh, <laughs> listen up, young and old, and uh, get out there and ride your bike. Yeah. That's, that's Thank it. you so much yeah. for uh, joining us, Nathan. That was uh, just fantastic. And all the best this weekend. I am definitely looking forward to seeing you give the Devil Cardigans course a proper nudge on a gravel bike with uh, a hot field, and it's going to be a very exciting day. Yeah, no, it's so good to chat with you guys. Thank you very much, and thanks for putting on an epic event. And, yeah, myself, but everyone from that I've talked to, we just, we're all so excited. It's going to be unreal. So we'll see you next week. Thanks, Nathan. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to that episode with local legend Nathan Earl. Cardigans this weekend. It's not far away now. I hope all your planning and preparation has gone well, and uh, please travel safely to the event. Uh, unfortunately, there's less than 5 mil rain forecast for the day, so not true cardigan conditions, but I think we have a course to test everyone still, and I think a worthy champion will be crossing the line first in all categories. Stay safe. Look forward to meeting you soon.